Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, the reason they call it ABCs is because there are four C buttons on the Nintendo 64 controller. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. The uh, new season of The Great British Bake Off is starting on Netflix now. Sure, have you been sure, watching yeah. it, Patrick? Yes, I have. So, uh, I, I was there for Cake Week. I was there for Biscuit Week. I was there for Bread Week. Am I going to be there for Mexican Week from the previews? I think it's going to be regrettable, but I'm going to be there. <laughs> but also, I don't think... Look... They they know how to bake a lot of strange like uh, uh, European things, right? Um, but I think there are just some kinds of foods that like the British bakers don't can't wrap their head around. They did pizzas last week, and I was like, these all these pizzas are terrible. Why are you doing this? Have you have you been have you been keeping up? We just my husband and I just started it. Okay, okay. Um, so we just saw Cake Week. You just saw Cake Week, and I I have to say, uh, that show can look. I cry at everything. Okay. <laughs> But that show can play me like a fiddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> so many times my husband looked over at me and incredulously was like, are you teary-eyed? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm getting teary-eyed when they're doing good. I'm getting teary-eyed when they're doing bad. I like this cast. What can I say? It's, it's, a, it's a good cast. Um, I mean, it's, it's a solid formula. I don't much care... For the hosts at the moment, I, I, I like the old hosts, um, and I don't know, man. the The opening bit that they do at the beginning of each season now, which has just gotten like more elaborate and like <laughs> crazier. I it topped out with achy breaky heart. I think last year. Did you do you remember this? I I vaguely remember it, and it was Star Wars this, this time, year's. Right? This year was Star Wars. Yes. Uh, I I don't I don't need any. I of don't that. need it either. I just don't need it. Like I'm not I'm not going to the Great British Baking I, Show for comedy. I did laugh. Spoilers for the Great British Baking Show <laughs> when um the little like R two D two type robot rolled in. Yeah, and they like lifted off the lid and had cake underneath. Yeah, I like that. That, that got me. That is pretty good. What's better than an R two D two? An R two D two with cake inside him. Um. You know what's better than an R2-D2 with cake inside him? The Sonic Forces borrowing program. How would you like to participate in it? Uh, all you got to do is send us an email with a uh, mailing address uh, so we can send you my copy of Sonic Forces. You send that to Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. Gmail and, and you then have a chance to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. There may be, look, there may be a box that arrives at your house. Uh, it says Sonic Forces on the outside. On the inside, though, it says Untitled Goose Game, baby. And that's just part of the program. Uh, you just, either way, you play it as long as you want. You send it back. It's a perfect borrowing program, and it costs you nothing. I know that it is the perfect borrowing program, and yes. I'm not doubting that for a second. I am wondering, though, do you think that for some people who get Untitled Goose Game, they, you know, like, rip open the... It's like Christmas morning. Right. 
They rip right. open the envelope and they're like, it's here, it's here, Sonic Forces. And then they open it mm. up. So we, look, I don't want to tip a- a- our hands. I don't know if either of us have the Nintendo 64 kid on our ABCs of Nintendo 64. But there's like that video of the kid on Christmas morning opening that Nintendo 64 and freaking out. Uh-huh. What if he opened that box and it was just Untitled Goose Game? No, it was a Nintendo 64 <laughs> box right. with Untitled Goose Game that's inside. Right. That's right. It would be pretty disappointing. It would be. Especially because he wouldn't have any way to play it. Yeah, not for like 20 years. Yeah, it's true. Well, here is something that would not at all be disappointing. Mm -mm. You can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. Two things about this. One, Patrick and I appreciate it so much when you do. It helps people find the show. Patrick and I really like reading your reviews. And then the second thing is that if you leave us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we will see it and we will give you a shout-out. But... If you leave us a review anywhere else, or you favorite us, or you share the show in some other way, we appreciate it no less. We just can't see it. So we would love for you to send us an email, hit us up on Twitter, let us know that you have done so, so we can give you a shout out on the show. And I know some of you may be a little worried that it's like tooting your own horn, but it's not. You're not giving yourselves a shout out. No. We're giving you the shout out. We're giving you the shout out. You're giving us, it's transactional. You're giving us the good review. Please let it be a good review. <laughs> and then we give you a shout out on the show. It's, yep. it's you've earned it at yes, that point. Exactly. Um, just as we have earned the good review. Debatable. Uh, you can also get in our Discord, uh, which is a great place where people are talking about Splatoon. They're talking about Ring Fit Adventure. They're talking about everything new that's going on in Nintendo. Look, Mark, we are, uh, by when this episode comes out, we are just a couple hours away from that Mario movie teaser trailer slash Nintendo Direct um, all happening at one time, you had better believe that there is going to be some insightful, maybe kind of snarky, but also pretty positive conversation about it in our Discord. So get in there if you're not already. Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know you'd like an invite, and we will send you one so you can join in on the fun. Mark, I'm realizing uh, now as I'm queuing up the next music queue that I haven't had to produce this show live in a while because we've been recording remotely for the last like week and a half. Uh, so I, I guess uh, I guess it's it's nice to see. I'm just realizing now that I haven't seen you in person in like two weeks. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm praying for this music queue. Uh, well, good, because here it comes. And to our delight and some people's chagrin, it went off it without hitch. It was the correct music cue and everything. Um, Mark, it is the 26th anniversary of the Nintendo 64, which came out, of course, September 28th. I is think that 30th. Okay. <laughs> September 30th. We know it's September for sure. <laughs> 1996. Um, and so we thought it was as good a time as any to uh, go over the Nintendo 64 and do like a real dig into um, uh, to the ephemera around it. So we're doing an ABCs of Nintendo 64. What did you say? I said 28th. I said 30th. It was the 29th. Ooh, what? We got, th- we got there in <laughs> we the got end. We got so close. Um, well, I think it is also... The Nintendo 64 is uh, also incredibly relevant right now just because we've got all of this like news around uh, games coming to the Nintendo Switch Online plus Expansion Pass, including one of the most legendary games on the platform, one that seemed like it was going to be orphaned there forever, 
GoldenEye 007. Right. And for me, because I, I know that uh, games were available on like the Wii Virtual Console, and I'm assuming Nintendo 64 games were also available on the Wii U yeah. Virtual Console, but I didn't own a Wii U, and it's been a long time since I've had a Wii. And so there's been this stretch where there are like Nintendo 64 games as they're coming out on Nintendo Switch Online. It's like I'm rediscovering them, like yeah, playing totally. them again for the first time. Um, it, it's and it's been a lot of fun. Like I am appreciating some of those games more than I have in the past. They don't all age well, mm. but uh, they're mm. it's still fun to explore the the Nintendo sixty four library. They don't all age well, and I think that's also part of what makes what makes it so. Like when Nintendo sixty four games were appearing on the Wii, right, and you could buy them on the Virtual Console, that there's a little bit of like sticker shock associated there, where you're like, because what it was was it ten dollars or like fifteen dollars or something like that. Um, where you're like, oh, do I really want to spend that to play a, like Excite Bike 64, you know, or like Wave Race again? And it's like, no, no, I, I can wait. Like spending eight dollars on links, uh, a uh, link to the past, um, that feels fine for whatever reason for me. Um, but like the Nintendo 64 games, yeah, it's just like the price point is too high, and my nostalgia at that point was too soft. Also, because it wasn't that long ago, which is crazy totally, to yeah. say, but you know, it's basically 10 years since the launch of the Nintendo 64 and even uh, less than that for, you know, yeah, like the end of that console's life. Home, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, it wasn't that long, but I, one of the things that makes the Nintendo 64 kind of like unique in Nintendo's library and the GameCube is this way as well, is we've been able to play the, you know, like NES classics. Yeah. For in so many different ways on so many different systems for so long. Same with like Super Nintendo games. Those yeah. were available in various forms, like in handhelds and stuff. But Nintendo 64 games, yeah, you got the occasional, you know, like uh, Mario 64 DS. But for the most part, like Nintendo 64 games lived on the Nintendo 64. And they died on the Nintendo 64. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I guess you are right. Like, uh, um, the Ocarina of Time uh, 3D remake and Majora's Mask. And uh, Star, Star Fox, Fox 64. 64. But yeah, it's but it's just it's kind of just like the great, it's like the, the very cream of the crop that gets like, you know, sort of reintegrated into like newer game libraries. But anything that's like below that absolute top tier is just sort of buried. Yeah, like there just hasn't been a lot of official ways to play the Nintendo 64 library. And so it's kind of uh, fun for it to have this little renaissance. Uh, so we're doing the ABCs of the Nintendo 64. Um, and Mark, I don't know how, I don't know how you approach this. Um, I, I usually, when we do an ABCs, I try to be um, esoteric and specific. Um, but I found this one a little challenging just because I, the, the library is small enough and it's also like far enough in my past that it, it feels like a distant memory, but it's also not so far in my past that it's like part of my childhood necessarily. You know, I mean, I, I uh, 96, so I, I was 14 when uh, the Nintendo 64 came out. I bought it with my own money. It's the first console that I did that with. Um, second after Virtual Boy. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's I, I was already like on that journey to like being a, a little grown up, right? Um, so... And also, I'm not. Yeah. I'm. I guess it's more of a question for you because at the same time, you were following the Final Fantasy franchise to like PlayStation, and so you know you had. Yeah. Did you have that like competing console kind of for like the first time? Because you weren't. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I 
I bought the Nintendo 64 because I thought Final Fantasy VII was going to come out on it, right? Like, Final Fantasy VII was featured in an issue of Nintendo Power, um, you know, before it came before it came out on PlayStation. Um, and so I thought, yes, like, I was like, I'm getting the new... Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, the new Nintendo thing, so I can play Final Fantasy on it. And then as soon as it was like Final Fantasy VII coming on only to PlayStation, that's when I was like, okay, then I need a PlayStation. Like, I, I followed it there for that game and obviously played a bunch of other games on it um, and, you know, made like lifelong relationships with other series like Resident Evil, for example. Um, but yeah, it's I, that that was one of the... That was one of the huge disappointments to me uh, of of the Nintendo 64 was I bought it for something that I was sure was going to be on there and then wasn't. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, Mark, what what drove you to the Nintendo 64? When did you get one? We were like, we were a growing up. We were, I guess, actually my entire life now. We are like a Nintendo family. So, um, you know, got the NES, got the Super Nintendo and got the Nintendo 64, all of these, and, you know, like, the GameCube and Wii and all this stuff, we got late. Yeah. We were never, like, early adopters. Um, and so I remember getting... A so, n- like, later in the day <laughs> when it came out, or...? <laughs> yeah, usually, like, a couple of years. Yeah. You know, at least when maybe when they started bundling games or dropping price, like, that sort of thing. And I remember the game that... W- like we got with our Nintendo 64 was Mario Kart 64. That was the first yeah, game. Yeah. And um you know, uh, I have quite a few siblings and so having like four player like split screen was huge. This was like such a uh gigantic shift yes. in video games. I think we are starting to tread on what I believe some of our talking points <laughs> okay, will right, be right, as, right. as we get further you're into right. the ABCs. You're right. So I, I I hate to derail you in the middle of the story. <laughs> no, no, you're right. You're well, completely let's, let's, right. Uh, just in the slightest of ways, adhere to our own format. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Mark, I want... Uh, uh, we're starting with A. Uh-huh. Letter <laughs> <laughs> the alphabet A. I'll go first. And I feel like when we did the ABCs of... Uh, GameCube, I started with analog triggers. And I'm going to start with analog thumbstick um, for, for the Nintendo 64. This is a feature of the Nintendo 64 controller that, while not being the f- first analog stick uh, uh, on a console controller, is the first thumbstick that is like standard. This is a thing that was not on controllers, uh, and it is on all controllers now. And it changed the way you interacted with the thing. And it also just like because it is right in the middle of the controller and it is shaped so bizarrely, um, there's just no avoiding it when you look at the controller, right? And it just changed your entire relationship with it. It made 3D movement possible. Uh, it was just a revolutionary little piece of hardware. Yeah, it is crazy looking back at it, on it now. Uh, you know, you go from an NES controller and a Super Nintendo controller, which are very approachable and it is very clear yes. how you are supposed to use it. The Nintendo and, 64- and how one comes from the other. Yes. Yeah. The Nintendo 64 controller truly baffling. Feels, feels like, yeah, baffling. You look at it, and it's not immediately clear. How am I supposed to hold it? How am I going to control a game with it? And because, you know, you don't, I, you know, yeah, it's just, it's strange. Well, hold on. I saw you making funny shapes with your hands. I was trying how, to. How do, you, how do you hold the Nintendo 64 controller? I'm trying to even, yeah, this feels like, uh, you know, trying to spell tree after you've thought about tree for too long. <laughs> hold on. I'm, like, is I'm tree gonna, a real word? I'm going to go grab one and then you're, and then you're going to hold it. Okay. Because okay, I think, well, anyways, um, 
basically the Nintendo 64 controller, it really is like a first draft. You know, it's like, okay, we are taking our best shot at putting this kind of like control thumbstick right. on a controller. And, and it, it's just in the middle. It's very strange. It's just in the middle of the controller. You can put your microphone down if, if you need to hold it. The no, way. I think basically you're like, you're holding it, you know, and you're having your thumb on one D-pad. And Whoa, then like what your other no 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 give it to me give it okay to me. <laughs> how do you how do you hold it I say for ninety percent of of gaming I hold it like this oh interesting this is with my left hand on the the center like prong of the trident uh -huh. um so that my uh, index finger is like resting on the Z it, I mean it, usually if I'm gonna push the the D pad at all. I let my thumb like drift yeah, over there that makes to, sense. To, to push it. I love that you call it the <laughs> the center prong of the trident. I, well, I mean, what, <laughs> no, what do you call wrong. it? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. It's just such a funny like image. Yeah. Somebody like holding, you know, like uh, King Triton, like holding up the Nintendo 64 controller. Yeah, like on the edge of a pole or something. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I mean, just what a what a weird little um, uh, analog stick and notoriously. Um, sensitive or would break would break yes yeah uh, it would like wear down almost and yeah. like i remember the control stick becoming loose yes almost and so you had to either at that point you replaced it or you had to ended up having to like really like jam it to the side yeah in order to get well, and to get, do what you wanted and hold it back to like the neutral position as well right like, because hold it just it like flop place. over um it makes me wonder if the because where we are uh testing our our nintendo 64 controller grips um by using the uh controller for the switch that is also the nintendo 64 controller um and it makes me wonder if the build on this is somehow stronger so that... I know. I wonder as well. The analog stick will last longer. Yeah, I guess we'll find out when Mario Party releases. We will. And at the risk of treading on things we may talk about later, we will talk no more about Mario Party at the specific juncture. We are going to come back to this analog stick, though. Okay, great. Um, okay, so my A is for R-Wing, the uh, like main ship, the iconic ship yes. from Star Fox series, and specifically Star Fox 64, from 1997, which is truly, I think, become the platonic ideal of a Star Fox game. Yes. It um, hit gamers, like, really hard, and we have forever been chasing the impossible high of Star Fox 64 since then. Yeah, there has not been a Star Fox game that has created the sort of, like, arcadey action with the multiple, like, uh, paths through levels, um, and it's just been so, like clean and neat you can get through a full like playthrough of star fox 64 in about an hour like if you know what you're doing um but that doesn't really diminish like you can just play it again and do a completely different path have an almost totally different experience um and also like it's got uh you know really funny voice acting from like all these characters the introduction of star wolf uh -huh. like all this stuff it's just like it's just a great little game I have not played the 3D remake. Have you? Did you play it? The I have one not on played Nintendo the 3D, 3D remake. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to go back to. Also, when we uh, we are, I mean, if we want to pick that up in the eShop, we got to do, <laughs> do it. We got to do it now. Yeah, do it now. we are running out uh -huh. of time, Mark. The um, when I, I was doing this for the ABCs, obviously R Wing starts with an A. But do you think like so much of Star Fox is a riff on you know like Star Wars and Indiana yeah. Jones and like all that kind of stuff? Do you think Independence Day? Independence Day. Mm -hmm. Do you think well? No, because Independence Day must be a riff on Star Fox, right? Why? Because when did Independence Day come out? Like 94? Oh, really? Yeah. 
interesting. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, do you think R wing yeah. is a riff on like there's X wing, there's totally. Y wing, yes. there's B wing, and they're like, well, it's just here's a letter that hasn't been used yet. Yeah, no, I, I think it, it is absolutely, and it's not even like the letter R; it's A R W I N G. Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, the thing that like. You know, the, the R-Wing is the only vehicle that you pilot in the original Star Fox. Um, and in the second one, they sort of open it up so that you can do the, the Landmaster or the the submarine, whose name I forget. Um, but, like, when you're in those other vehicles, you just want to get back in the R-Wing. <laughs> That's always been the problem with these later games, yes. too. Or, like, you're just like... <laughs> There's a way to unlock on-foot combat, which makes no sense. <laughs> you're a Star Fox. You want to be up in the air, zipping around. Um... Mark, that, that's a great A. Are you ready to move on to your B? Yeah, okay. So my B is for biosensor. What are you talking about? So Was there a biosensor for the Nintendo 64? In Japan. Okay. And it's very, it's really similar to the Wii Vitality sensor. Which never actually came which out. Which never actually came out. So the biosensor, it's, you plug it into the controller pack slot on the back of the controller, like where the rumble pack would go. All of these things we'll be talking about soon. <laughs> and you clip it to your ear. And it's... Your ear? Yeah, you clip it to your ear and it measures your heart rate. And it was released only in Japan and it's compatible only with Tetra 64, which slows down or speeds up depending on how fast you're heart is beating well so what as you panic does it slow down or as you panic does it speed up i don't know that's a good question i that that's actually really funny like is it, it trying to funny? facilitate your playing or is it like leaning into like as it makes you panic it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah like going to a haunted house yeah i hope it's that second one me too kind of because then you could also just use it to train yourself to be zen right it's like okay this is really chaotic but i have to keep it together or it's just gonna get more chaotic right it, it's like tetris effect right like tetris effect does such a good job of like hypnotizing you using the tetra speed and sometimes it'll slow down because it's like it knows that you've been like jamming for a while and that like you need to relax and then it just gives it to you it would be cool if it knew you needed to relax because of the thing in your ear and then like as soon as you started to calm down again it was like now you yeah now you gotta go yeah so uh, i i thought this was so cool and i thought it was so funny the biosensor the kind of um uh, similarities with the Wii Vitality sensor, which obviously never ended up happening. But yeah, it was manufactured by SETA, so it wasn't like a like official Nintendo release. Mm -hmm. But it worked with Tetris 64. Uh, I do think it is. We and we will mention, I think, a, a number of peripherals that are only like usable on like one or two games. Uh, a, a really weird time for uh, peripherals and Nintendo systems. And like, there were a there were a lot of peripherals. There were a lot of weird little ones, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, you know, for, for me, when I think about the hardware associated with the Nintendo 64, I just think about like a bunch of different color controllers, all of which we'll get to in a bit. Um, Mark, my B is the Bowser fights in Super Mario 64 because they're iconic, right? Like you hear that music, that... And you know exactly what's about to happen, right? You're on this platform, like, floating above a sea of lava, and you're going to run around behind Bowser and grab his tail. And the thing that's so cool about this to me, and about the, the Bowser fights in general, is that uh, sort of for the first time, a Mario game is making you engage with, like, the core concepts 
of the game in order to beat Bowser. Um, so instead of like just getting past him in the original Mario or like kind of baiting him onto specific uh, parts of the bridge to break in uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, you are, it's your mastery of 3D space. Like you have to be able to run around in circles faster than he can spin, right? Like your precision there is being tested, mm-hmm. which is something that the entire game is uh is is about right is your demanding your ability to navigate three-dimensional space um so sort of goes hand in hand with the analog thumbstick that like this is a thing that was impossible before and mario 64 and the nintendo 64 makes that bowser fight possible oh that's really cool um you like those Bowser fights, Mark? I don't actually. Mm. I, I I do I don't particularly like the Bowser fights in Mario sixty four. But remember, I the most I've like, I most recently played Mario sixty four right as part of the Super Mario three D All Stars that released a couple of years ago, celebrating Mario's thirty fifth anniversary. And I had a really hard time with Mario sixty four in general. So right. that that's kind of coloring, just because like the camera, um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, not my favorite Bowser fight for sure. Um, well, let's move on to my C, which is the C buttons, of course. Mark, is this your C as well? It is not. Okay, good. It it as I was picking it, I was like, this one feels obvious. Maybe I shouldn't do it. But the C buttons, man, what a weird feature on this controller that there are four different buttons that are all labeled C, um, and seemingly. Only really, like, they, they they control the camera, right, in uh, Super Mario 64. And then everyone else just has to, like, figure out what to do with those C buttons. Um, and you think about how, uh, like, Ocarina of Time uses them as, uh, like, item selection buttons. Or, like, um, Star Fox 64, you, like, hold a button and then push it. And, or a direction and push one of them. Right? you boost and do it however you you push these the you uh push these buttons it's like to uh it's a mobility thing that's how you do like the somersaults or the u-turns or whatever um it's just it's such an odd collection of buttons that like sort of makes up another d-pad but like no one really uses it as a right d-pad it's just a bizarre a bizarre thing that like they abandon after this. Right. Yeah. Or it becomes the other, the, the right thumbstick on, on the uh, GameCube controller. Right. Which makes more sense. But yeah, the way that it's presented on the Nintendo 64 controller, you know, you're going from the Super Nintendo where you have those like four face buttons. Yes. Which, uh, and again, like looking back on it, don't always make a ton of sense either because there's a lot of games where they have like duplicative, yeah. you know, like um, behavior and things like that. But you have, like, the A and B button, which are really big and prominent. Right. And then these four cluster that you're right. Like, there was never really any consensus on what to use it for. Right. Uh, And, like, the C sort of implies camera, which is what it does in Super Mario 64. But then, like, no one else, like, I guess from time to time, you can sort of assume that if you're in a 3D space, you can manipulate the camera with, uh, you know, one of those buttons. But, like, frequently, no. Right. I mean, Zelda, no. Zelda, no. Yeah. My C, uh, I actually have two. So one, I don't, I don't want to dwell on too long. And yes. that's, so when I was looking at the analog stick and trying, you know, looking at like user manuals to see what it was actually called. And it, the official name for it is the control stick, which is not that interesting. Mm. But the part that I found interesting that I did not know before is that the analog stick on, or control stick on a Nintendo 64 controller is not actually analog. It's digital. 
Okay. So uh, it kind of works like a like a ball mouse or like uh-huh. a trackball where, and I do not fully understand this, but uh, like the position is tracked using LEDs and like little holes around the edge of the wheel. So okay. that way, like when you're moving the stick around and where it is, the light is blocked is how it knows where like so it's the, not, the position of the stick oh, interesting so it's not actually it like with other like joysticks or analog sticks that there's like a gate that it is like pushing up against and it knows yeah, how hard you're pushing that is not the directions. case with the nintendo 64 interesting controller. so what we what i for my entire life have called an analog stick is digital it is not in fact an analog stick it is Whoa. a control stick but it uh has it's functionally equivalent yeah <laughs> to a true analog stick control stick Pushing, my, it, pushing it out pushing of the way. Pushing it aside. Pushing it aside. My other one... This is like finding out that there are no Nintendo cartridges. <laughs> no, it truly... I completely agree. <laughs> this is heartbreaking. Collect-a-thon. Okay. Let's talk Donkey Kong 64 now. <laughs> yeah, and Banjo-Kazooie. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you name it, Nintendo 64... Most, mostly rare. <laughs> ...has got a collect-a-thon for yes. it. And it's... Uh, so, by collect-a-thon, it's kind of a term... I feel like that's thrown around quite a bit nowadays, but basically means, you know, there were these platformers, and you're right, a lot developed by Rare, where they had this 3D space, and so you don't necessarily have a lot of the precision format uh, platforming that you had of 2D platformers, like, you know, even uh, like Donkey Kong Country that Rare had worked on previously. And so what is the pl- gameplay mechanic in this 3D space? Right. And what Rare really uh, dug into is this idea of, like, what we now kind of like derisively referred to as like collect-a-thons where, you know, they're, you're going through these 3d environments with the goal of collecting everything of like something bananas or coins or whatever it is. Jiggies. (laughs) Jinjos. Yeah. I mean, it's what's so interesting about like these sort of collect-a-thon as, as a concept is like, you know, the, the, the first uh, rare one of these is Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Kazooie, the, the original, especially as you compare it to the games that came out later, is so much like Mario 64, right? Like that Nintendo had laid the blueprint for this and, you know, they capped themselves at, you know, there are eight red coins and six stars. And I guess if you get a hundred coins, you can also get like a seven star, but that that's it, right? Like a total of when, you know, like, I guess you start adding that up and that's like, okay, eight coins, uh, eight eight red coins, a hundred regular coins, seven stars, that's kind of a lot of stuff to, to to collect, but Rare went nuts with this concept. And it was, as a kid, it was really hard for me because I remember getting Donkey Kong 64, I think, like, for Christmas or something. And, um, you know, being so primed by Donkey Kong Country, a game that I loved, to kind of, like, expect that's what a Donkey Kong game would be. Sure. That I, like, Donkey Kong 64, I have never beat because i did not understand it like i genuinely you know like i maybe i was too young or i just yeah. wasn't familiar with the type of game that it wanted to be that it was like i didn't i didn't get it i was like why can't i go why can't i like platform like why can't i do stuff yeah well it's because it makes you it it wants you to like retread the same territory five times so you can collect five different colors of bananas as five different uh kongs um but yeah it's uh it's it's a shame how like there could be a very good game in Donkey Kong 64 if they just like restrained what they were doing. Cause like the core mechanics are fun. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, they, they make you pick up too much stuff. Should we move on to D? 
yeah, it's uh, it, it's your D first. My D is another rare game of sorts, Dinosaur Planet. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is a, a game that Rare was working on originally for the Nintendo 64, and it eventually turned into Star Fox Adventures on the GameCube, but initially was just a completely different game um, based around, like, I guess Crystal, the character who ended up in uh, Star Fox Adventures, was part of it, but there was, instead of Fox McCloud, you played as another, like, uh, furry character. And yeah, I mean, it is, it is hard to escape. Like, there's something uh, about the design of the Star Fox characters that don't read as furry to me until Crystal shows up. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I guess this is all just like, this is all like furry stuff, huh? But basically, you know, uh, Rare was working on this game completely independent from Star Fox. And Nintendo saw it. And I, you know, Miyamoto or somebody yeah, was Miyamoto. like, oh, like Star Fox could fit in here. And so Rare began working on it with incorporating, like, Star Fox characters and specifics and things like that. Again, it eventually released on, moved to development on the GameCube, but originally started on the Nintendo 64. And kind of, like, an interesting footnote to this is that in 2021, I think, like, towards the end of the year, a Nintendo 64 build from the year 2000 leaked, and it had Fox McCloud in the game. So it had. Oh, interesting. It, so it had started. It, like Fox had like a sword because it was it was still a hybrid, really. Right. Of, like Dinosaur Planet, beginning to put Star uh, Star Fox specifics into it, but it hadn't quite yet made the leap to GameCube. And Star Fox Adventure being ended up being the last game that Rare would publish, like for as like a Nintendo second party because yeah, that's right. they were uh, acquired by Microsoft shortly afterwards. Now we have a well-documented history here of uh, Nintendo releasing long-abandoned Star Fox sequels on, uh, like, Classic Edition uh, consoles or um, Nintendo 64 online libraries, in that we've seen Star Fox 2 get published on those things. Do you think there's ever a chance that we see uh, Dinosaur Planet on the uh, Nintendo 64, Nintendo, uh, Nintendo Switch and that, Online? That would be crazy. That and would I'll, be crazy. And I'll never say never, but because it was eventually released as like something yeah. else, whereas like Star Fox 2 was just ingloriously canned. Yeah, yeah. So probably not, is what you're saying. Um, Dinosaur Planet, pretty good D. My D, also a rare game. Diddy Kong Racing, of course. Mark, you know I'm a big fan of Diddy Kong Racing. Uh, I believe it to be the superior kart racer on that machine. Um, uh, it's just, you know, it, it, it features like a, an open world, sort of like hub world between the races. It's got interesting like boss fights that you have to do um, in the, the racing track. Uh, you can uh, race as a kart, a a hovercraft or an airplane on basically every track. Um, it's remarkable stuff. And also, so this game comes out in 1997 and features both Banjo and uh, Conker, who are stars of rare games that wouldn't come out until uh, on Nintendo 64 until 1998 in uh, Banjo's case and 2001 in Conker's case. Wow. So this is Conker's first appearance by four years um, he's also in that uh, Game Boy Color game that comes out in 1999. But whatever, ignore that. That's not on the Nintendo 64. It's it's got those two characters. It's got um, uh, Diddy Kong, and it's got uh, just like a whole host of like brand new weird little characters. Um, I believe we ranked them all as part of our ranking uh, 
uh, rare characters, right? I think we did. Yeah, ba- back in the day, uh, Tiplup, he's a Tip Tup, he's a turtle. Um, there's a, a little a little yellow mouse whose name I can't remember. Um, but it's just it's got such a uh, strong, fun, funny, weird roster, um, and the racing is just solid. Did you pick up the DS remake when I it did? Came it's out? not that good. Oh yeah, what what changed? So the big problem with it is that. Um, you know how at the beginning of a Mario Kart race, there's that like, do, 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 and you have mm-hmm. to like push the accelerator at the right time to catch a boost. To catch a boost in uh, the um, DS Diddy Kong Racing, there was like a little mini game at the at the front of the uh, race that, that was used like the touch screen they used either the uh, touch screen or like the the microphone that you oh, were like sure, blowing yeah. into and it's like dude i'm not <laughs> i'm not using the thing for anything else in this game like especially there's one of them where you have to like spin the the propeller um and you have to do it with the stylus or like it won't it doesn't like take it um and so you're like doing this with the stylus and then you just got to like throw the stylus <laughs> so you can start racing. Like there's no second there where you get to like put it away and you know, right. st- you know grab the thing the, the right way. Um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a real mess. That's really funny. And also uh, uh, both Banjo and Conker are missing from the lineup. Oh, that makes sense. So, you know, it, that, that's a real bummer. With, with uh, GoldenEye and, um, uh, you know, Banjo-Kazooie uh, coming out in the Nintendo, um, the Nintendo Switch Online, Nintendo 64, uh, that makes me hopeful that, like, that relationship has been however much repaired that we'll get Diddy Kong Racing. That would be amazing point. if we got – because uh, still no word of Donkey Kong 64. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so – yeah, I, I, I believe. I believe. If Goldeneye can happen, Diddy Kong Racing can happen. I mean, if Goldeneye can happen, anything can happen, right? Like, that's that's the one where I'm like, wow, in the world. Um, all right, Mark, my E. My E is for the expansion pack. Um, the expansion pack was a uh, little red thing that you jammed into the front of your Nintendo 64 that uh, doubled its RAM uh, to uh, 8 megabytes, uh, which just for reference, the Switch has 4 gigabytes of RAM. Megabytes. No. Yeah. No. The Switch? Oh, oh, the Switch. The sorry, Switch, sorry. The Switch. The Switch. I did, that, was, that was just for, for scale. Yeah, so normally the Nintendo 64 has 4 megabytes of RAM. This doubled it to 8. Um, it came bundled with the uh, Donkey Kong 64 and was required to play um, Donkey Kong 64, The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, and most of Perfect Dark. You could turn on Perfect Dark and like a- a- access some parts of the game, but like most of it, you couldn't. Um, but that's it. Those were the only three games that required it. The expansion pack did, however, um, increase or improve the performance of uh, a number of different games. Um, but like weirdly enough, not a lot of first party games. And I don't know if that's just because Nintendo had already like moved on from developing uh, game- games for the console at this point, or if they were always like Nintendo's just always better about like, you know, coloring inside the lines that they uh, set for themselves at the, at the beginning of the generation. The only, to, to my research, the only Nintendo published game um, that uh, had a performance boost from the uh, uh, expansion pack outside of the three that I already mentioned that for which it's essentially required is uh, Excite Bike 64. Um, and all the rest are like third-party games that we you know were clearly people being like, Nintendo, we need more power. We've been developing for this dinosaur for so long. We need more RAM. And they're like, okay, fine. You can use the expansion pack. Um, 
But just like what what a what a weird little thing that they weren't taking advantage of. Yeah, that is crazy. It's also nuts now to to think about. Um, so okay, the Nintendo sixty four uh, uh, Switch Online app uh, has Majora's Mask on it, right? So it that's a game that requires the expansion pack. Um, does that mean when Excite Bike sixty four comes out that we are going to get the improved performance that would have come with that expansion pack? Oh, interesting. Like, it, will we have the resolution that came with with uh, with that little bit of extra RAM? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Mark, what's your E? My E is for Empire, as in Shadows of the Empire. Shadows of. For a little Star Wars nerd like myself, this, like, Shadows of the Empire was a seismic event. Because it was, it was not just a video game. Mm-mm. It was not just a novel. There were there was like a CD that was associated with like this was a multimedia extravaganza of new Star Wars content with a story that was set between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, it was such an exciting time, and I remember in uh, when Shadows of the Empire came out, and there's an um like the first level, the second level is like the battle on Hoth, and you're able to like fly around. Um, the, so is that after the train or before the train? I can't remember. It was a train, but uh, you know, like that was such an exciting, cool, like mm-hmm. mind blowing moment. Um, I, you know, is Shadows of the Empire a great game, a great story, a great, yes. you know, like. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I read that book. Oh uh, yeah, collected totally. those action figures. Prince Zizor, Prince Zizor, and like Chewbacca in like a, a, a costume. Obviously, Dash Rendar. Yeah, it was um it was a really exciting time. Also, you know, w- the special editions were was one year away. I didn't realize. I was looking this up because I was trying to remember um so Star Wars is obviously in a very different place than it was back then, but it's interesting to think about that, you know, at the time it had been, you know, a, a, a little around 10 years since mm-hmm. the last like big Star Wars movie. Yeah, there were the books, but that was for a very specific audience. Like Star Wars was not in the mainstream like it is today. Right. And so Lucasfilm was kind of like, they were revving up the engines for that special edition and for the prequels that would be just a couple of years later. I was, so I was trying to figure out like, when were the prequels announced? And. Oh boy. Yeah. What a great question. So apparently the, his intention to make it was like announced in variety in like 1993. But I, I'm pretty Whoa. sure as a kid, I had no idea that like the prequels were coming until later than that, but well, that's I mean, cause so the the versions of the original trilogy that we had on VHS that I watched like over and over again are the ones that start with the Leonard Maltin interview with uh with George Lucas, um, and you know at at that point, um, like Maltin is asking him about uh episodes one, two, and three. Um, and you know, Lucas is like evasive about it. I guess these things probably would have come out in like 92 or 93, something like that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I don't remember him being like, yep. And when those movies come out, there'll be this, 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 um, so much as like, he, he like claimed at that point to like, know the story of episodes one, two, and three, which I don't think he did, uh, during the, uh, filming of, of, of those movies. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting to think like, was he looking at the you know decade later uh, landscape uh, of uh, of Star Wars listeners and just being like, oh, we gotta like build some hype back up before I can put the Phantom Menace out, uh, which would be 
you know, then this publishing initiative through Shadows of the Empire, the the special editions of uh, the original trilogy, and then eventually in 1999, Phantom Menace. Yeah. But, you know, even as a kid, Shadows of the Empire felt like an event. Like, I was all in. Yeah. Well, and it's like... Even kind of now, that's that's like unparalleled, right? Like we've had uh, so many uh, High Republic books, right, um, uh, and comics and stuff. But I say and stuff, and that's real. That's really it. It's just books and comics. Um, there is no uh, action figure line. There's no video game. I guess there will be that uh, um, uh, Star Wars Eclipse if that ever comes out. Um, but like, yeah, at, at the moment, they, it's it's not all like popping off on all these different uh platforms like like it was for just this one moment for shadows of the empire yep why was that a nintendo 64 exclusive yeah i don't know and it, the, it, interestingly uh it was published by nintendo but yeah. lucasfilm published nintendo 64 games right like quite a few as on as well but this one specifically published by nintendo hmm uh mark your f my f is for fire orange which is the color of this like opaque Nintendo 64 that you could buy the system itself and the controller or this fire orange color. We had a fire orange. Uh, you did. We, but the controller, not the oh, okay. system itself. So we must have, you must have been able to buy them separately as well. Well, I think also like on the secondary market, like it was all, all bets were off. Like these oh, things got sure. separated all the time. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, it was such a boom time for these like see-through consoles. Yes, and it is a it is something that I, I and even the a few years later the original Game Boy Advance yeah was kind of like opaque like this with like a purplish yeah shell. I've, I've I've got that one but bring it back yeah bring <laughs> it back like where, if, where did it go if you did that same sort of treatment to a Nintendo Switch. I would buy that in a second. Oh, I mean, I've, I've seen lots of like modded Joy Cons to have that uh, like see-through purple color. Um, yeah, it's 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 sort of wild that that that's not been tapped as like um, a nostalgia thing. Totally, because that's what you know. Like, remember the Game Boy SP? There was yeah. like the NES Special Edition yeah. that kind of like looked like an NES, but you don't. We have not had that for a long time, and it feels like um, you could totally do a Nintendo 64 totally. Fire Orange Switch. Uh, I just want to show you the picture yes, because please. it is radical. Oh, yeah, that that is bold. Mark, you got to post that in the Discord. <laughs> uh, and then if you're not in the Discord, you should send us an email or a, a tweet. Make sure you get in the Discord so you can see the picture of the Fire Orange um, Nintendo 64 that Mark just shared with me. Um, Mark, my F is four-player standard. Um, oh, this is another uh, bold... Uh, innovation of the Nintendo 64. Um, no one had four controller ports on the front of their system. Everyone had two because that's what we thought multiplayer games were, was you versus me or you and me together. That's it. Th th those are the only options. Um, and uh, the, the four controller ports on the front of the system made it so that every... Like, you think of the number of games that had four-player split screen. Obviously, GoldenEye is a huge example. Mario Kart... Um, uh, Star Fox, um, Perfect Dark, Perfect Dark, uh, Donkey Kong 64, um, so many of these Smash games. Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers, yes. Um, and it's all because you could just do four player and not think about it. Like it just happened, uh, cause all those things were there. And, uh, one of the things that I thought was a, a nice little like innovation here was that the system launched, launched 
with four different color controllers, six different, sorry, six different colors of controller so that you knew and like the plug that plugged into the thing was the color of the controller. So like be, there were so many controllers and so many people playing that like you still knew you could look visually. You had this cue of like, oh, the gray one is player one. The green one is player two. The blue one is player three. Um, and it was just like a very like nice, easy way to do this. Like they they made it, they made it something that was impossible before um, possible and like logistically clear at the same time. Yeah, man, it, it was being able to play with four people in split screen was mm-hmm. so cool. I, we, so we had a mix of, Nintendo first-party controllers, third-party controllers. But I just remember under the, you know, like, TV, there was a basket that all these controllers just got thrown in. And the cords were such... It was like a, a, a rat king... You know, they, yeah, they totally. all so got tangled together. I mean, with the Nintendo 64 controller, I always did the, uh, like, the cross your heart. Um, uh, and you totally could because of the yep. trident prongs. The trident prongs. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I just thought that was a, a, a genius little um, feature of the Nintendo 64. Mark my G. Um, I actually had kind of a tough time with this one, uh, but I, I went with... Grunty, Gruntilda, the villain <laughs> from Banjo-Kazooie, uh, this grotesque witch who steals uh, Tootie, um, who's Banjo's little sister, so she can pop her in a machine and steal her beauty, um, which happens every time there's a game over. There's like a little cutscene <laughs> where like you watch this whole thing play out. Um <laughs> Uh, and it isn't fun. Turns uh, turns uh, 2D into a, a bit of an ogre, um, and uh, you know Grunty into a babe, um, and yeah, that's it. Just just Grunty. Well, it, it's a a character that they work so hard to uh, build details for, um, because you you meet her sister who's like trapped in the walls um, of of the castle, um, and she tells you things about uh, about Gruntilda. It's all like gross out specifics right uh like feels like an episode of ren and stimpy every time she talks to you um and by the end of the game you are in a like game show style thing and some of the things that you land on are you being quizzed about the gross facts about gruntilda um so there's just like no escaping her in that game that's a really that's a really good one i feel like you know banjo kazooie holds especially the first ones that hold such an interesting place in the nintendo 64 library because you got one mario with yeah. uh, the Nintendo 64, and it came at launch. Yeah. And Banjo-Kazooie did a really good job, especially, uh, I feel like, the first one of kind of filling that totally. gap. You yes. know, like another highly high-quality 3D platformer that if you couldn't get enough, you know, like uh, you wanted another Mario, but it didn't exist, Banjo-Kazooie was a fairly good stand-in for that. Yeah, absolutely. My G is Game Pack. And that's P-A-K. You know it's P-A-K. And By the way, Expansion Pack was also P-A-K. And, and, and so what What was the... Uh, oh, Biosensor, not P-A-K. Um, uh, but the Game Pack, like Patrick and I discovered when we did our ranking of like Nintendo cartridges, yeah, very few... Don't exist. Yeah, like none, none, none. none of Nintendo's uh, Game Packs. There are packs. packs and there are carts. Yep, but nothing is called discs. a cartridge. That's right. So Nintendo 64's version was a game pack and uh, especially notable for the Nintendo 64 because it is a very controversial decision and one that arguably, you know, like was a very, a real sliding doors moment for Nintendo. Yep. Um, You know, PlayStation had the CD-ROM, which was cheaper to develop for 
or you know like cheaper to publish cheaper to make uh was able to hold more you could also everyone and their mother sold cds uh nintendo was the you as a developer or publisher you had to buy the the packs to print your game on uh, and they were expensive and you had to buy them from nintendo and you know like very limited memory so Mm -hmm. it was uh you know like one of those moments where nintendo kind of uh Made a mistake. Made a mistake. Yeah. And um, a fateful choice for the Nintendo 64. And yeah, sure, there are benefits just like we see with the uh, game carts on the Nintendo Switch. You know, like uh, it's much faster to load games than it was CD-ROMs. Um, you could you could not a ton of games did, but you could theoretically save, uh, you know, like do game saves directly to a right, game pack. Right. Um, Actually, I feel like that became Nintendo 64 standard that you were saving right on the game pack itself and not on because the the it did have memory cards that like went into that little slot in the back of the controller. But uh, I I feel like I only I only really remember using that for a handful of games that mostly you were saving right on the on the game pack. Yeah, so there were definitely like some benefits, but in the long run, not it was more a bid by Nintendo to try to maintain the control. You know, that like tight grip that they had had since the NES and SNES era, and uh, it just really backfired on them. Um, one thing that it did allow, speaking to Banjo Kazooie, um, is for the way that Banjo Kazooie uses music, um, so that it didn't, it, instead of like loading up a full music track, um, it was able to, uh, the, the way Banjo Kazooie works is uh, it's really just playing that Teddy Bear's Picnic theme uh, all, all, all the time uh, when you're walking around the castle. But depending on where you are, it's a different instrumentation, um, and that all happens in real time. So it doesn't have to like stop, uh, like stop playing a track and like load up a new one, which is what you'd have to do if it was on a CD-ROM. They're all sort of running at the same time, and it just like slider up, slider down, uh, which is something that a cartridge allows that a CD would not have. That's allowed. really cool. I didn't Isn't know that. that. Cool? Uh, up next is H. Up next is H, and my H is for Hyrule Field. Oh, in yeah. The Legend of Zelda oh, Ocarina God. of Time. Mark, it felt so big. Yeah, it what like what a moment when, you know, you are first uh allowed out into the world and you see Hyrule Field. Yes. Um and it's vast expanse and the beautiful music. Um it's teased on the attract screen, you know, like at the yes. beginning of the game. Uh, but being but able, it's dark, so you don't really you don't yes, really get a sense of all. You of it. don't really understand the scope of it. Uh, being able to freely ru- ride Epona through it, the way that it changes from day to night, and at night it becomes a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Um. It was it was such like a revelation, like of uh, such a memorable part of experiencing that game. Um. It's such uh, that's such a good like demonstration of. Uh, the sort of like architectural philosophy of which is prominent in a lot of like Frank Lloyd Wright stuff of like compression, like in physical space, compression and, and uh, release that like all of Kokiri forest and like the, the Deku tree and like all that stuff that you go through in the first like hour or two of that game is all like tight corridors. Everything is small. It's compressed. Um, and then as soon as you hit that Hyrule field, it, that's the release. And suddenly a space, which ultimately isn't that big, like you can make Link run across it in like two minutes, right? Um, but it feels at that point 
enormous. Yeah, Disneyland does a very similar thing. Like, yes. you know, you you go into Disneyland, there's the train station, but then you have to walk through the tunnel where your view is kind of like hidden. Yep. And then when you walk through, then it opens up and you see the castle and everything. But it really is, it, it is such a, uh, a wonderful example of that moment. And, you know, the previous Zelda games, uh, the original Legend of Zelda, Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link, and uh, Link to the Past, they had this like vast expanse from the beginning and that was part of like the right, appeal but right. to experience it in 3d space was a totally different like yeah, mind it's, blowing it's, it's, moment. it's a game changer for sure um all right mark my h is happy together do you remember this commercial for the uh for super smash brothers yes, on the nintendo 64 i do uh i'm just gonna play a little bit of it So we're seeing Donkey Kong and Mario and Yoshi, and they're all together until Mario trips Yoshi, and then they all start fighting. In the happy-go-lucky world of Nintendo. Introducing Super Smash Brothers, where all your favorite characters go toe-to-toe in one four-player star-studded... So that's just featuring the the uh, turtle song, Happy Together, um, which uh, I... I Look, that song gets used in a lot of stuff, um, but I think it that's that's a perfect deployment. Is like introduce me to the idea of Super Smash Brothers. Such a good commercial. It's such a funny commercial because they're all just like mascots. They're like dudes in costumes. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it's just I don't know. It's 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 cute and it makes me laugh. Um, all right, Mark, my eye. I've got two eyes, but so w- would you mind going first on this? No, I'm happy to. So my eye is. Injuries, <laughs> okay. Uh, specifically caused the by the tug, uh-huh, the uh-huh. tug of war mini game mm-hmm. in Mario Party sixty four. And there's more to this that, like you know, like I knew. So basically, you know, in the game, you there are characters that are over like a cliff. You know, they're each on separate sides of the cliff, and you're trying to pull. You know, like, and the way that you do that is by rotating the control stick and I as think as fast as you can. And I think theoretically you're supposed to do it with your thumb, but obviously it was much faster to like do it with your uh the palm. And so you could just like really whip it around. Yeah, I mean that is also one of those like kid logic things like using the power pad with your fists. Uh-huh. That like I don't actually know if it was faster. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know. But it made national news. And not only that, I did not realize this. So um I like the New York Attorney's General Office officially complained to Nintendo <laughs> about the game because they were getting so many complaints. So this is from a CNET story, as quoted in a Kotaku story. So uh, one kid got a tetanus shot. Said Christy Pritchard, a spokeswoman for New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer. The alarming thing was how little time some of these children p- spent playing the game before they were injured. Pritchard said. One parent said their child had been playing the game for 15 to 20 minutes when they got a second-degree burn. Maybe Nintendo should ship only to colder climates, quipped Richard Doherty, president of Envisioneering Group. What? Yeah. So uh, That's a terrible statement about that. <laughs> so in response... What? I don't understand the tetanus shot thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess... Because yeah, like, you could like break the skin, but like it's not rusty. Yeah, I don't know. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, apparently, do... Uh, According to some complaints that were filed, children had suffered cuts, punctures, blistered, and friction burns on their hand. In response, Nintendo, I did not know this, but this is hilarious. They released the glove? They, yes. 
four pairs uh, of protective sports gloves. Yeah. They sent them to anyone in the United States who had bought the game, could provide proof of purchase, and wanted them. They were like uh, fingerless gloves that had padded palms. My, are, Do you know if they're branded in any way? I don't. I don't. If anyone has one of these things, let us know. I would love to email us, Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. I would love to see... I'd love to see one of these things. <laughs> and but they even there there was like a special recorded message uh, just for the Mario Party tips hotline, which <laughs> urged people to avoid injuries by manipulating the joystick with their thumb and forefinger uh, rather than the palm. So yeah, I like I didn't know that they sent gloves. I didn't know that there there were all these complaints. Um, I just knew of it from its notoriety, not like the not the other part of it, not the fallout. You didn't uh-huh. know the fallout of didn't it. Didn't know the fallout. Um, Mark, my eye, I'm going to go with this, which I don't actually know that much about other than, uh, just to acknowledge that it is a strange piece of technology. The IQ, I-Q-U-E, it is a, uh, Chinese exclusive, uh, sort of console in a controller, um, that, uh, you know, it, it looks like, it almost looks more like a Dreamcast controller than anything else. Um, and it, uh, had games either, um, uh, uploaded to it via like a memory card or... Or you could uh, like uh, uh, upload games from like a kiosk, uh, and it was just all Nintendo sixty four stuff, um, and it was available uh, in in China. And um, what the 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 shop only shut down a couple years ago, um, but yeah, for a long time it was like the only game uh, in in town in China. Yeah, because you know Nintendo recently started. Uh, partnership with Tencent to officially sell Nintendo, right? Like Switch. the Nintendo Switch there. But before, yeah, like I just looked it up. This IQ company was a joint venture between uh, Wei Yun and Nintendo. Yeah, a, a weird little piece of, uh, of 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 history and and hardware. Um. Okay, Mark, my J. Uh, it's got to be James Bond, and we don't have to talk about James Bond too much, as we talked about James Bond a ton just a couple weeks ago. Go check out that episode if you missed it. Um. But, I mean, just think about the outsized role that uh, GoldenEye 007 had um, at sleepovers and uh, among people who played video games. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's notable for all these reasons. And, you know, being a first-person shooter on uh, a home console, having the multiplayer built into it, the split screen, all that, all of that. But I am convinced that... That's the sole reason that anyone who was a teenager in the 90s cared about James Bond at all. Like, right? Like, that's why that's why I saw the the Brosnan movies in 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 the theater is because I didn't care about James Bond before uh, because the uh, franchise had been sort of dormant uh, for a little while. And I hadn't seen Goldeneye until after I played the game and after I started to, like, see all these other movies. Uh, it's just such a weird confluence of events that like tied Nintendo and James Bond to each other. Um, and it was, it was so great for both the Bond franchise and for Nintendo as a whole. Patrick, my J is for justice. Mm. And what are two elements of justice? Why is it sin and punishment? Um, I don't, geez. <laughs> Let's not dwell on it too much. Is sin part of justice? <laughs> Developed by Treasure. Yeah. Uh, released in 2000, only in Japan. Sin and Punishment is a rail shooter that has a really unique control control scheme. So you use both the D-pad and the control stick at the same time. to c- So that way you can simultaneously control the player character and the reticule on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it c- 
I d- hadn't heard about it until it came to the Wii Virtual Console in 2007, which uh, happens to be the same year the game's story takes place when like war oh, breaks out uh, as the world struggles with famine. And a sequel released for the Wii in 2009. But now, like, I feel like Sin and Punishment is considered one of the, um, like, best Nintendo 64 games and never released in the U.S. Oh, I mean, other than it is on the Nintendo Switch, uh, 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 Nintendo 64 online. Right. I mean, in its original release. I see. Um, is that a game we should play? Like, should we make... Because I, I know I turned it on and did, like, the, the training part of it and was like... Oh, this is a 26-year-old game. I get it. Um, but like, is that something that we should actually like try to yeah, do? Yeah, I wonder if we I wonder I if we like should. rail shooters. Cuz I rem- I remember I bought it when mm-hmm. the when it released oh, on, on the, the Wii, Wii Virtual mm-hmm. Console and but the way I played it was with the Wii Pro controller, which I feel like is Oh yeah, probably not. Not an ideal way. Like I think it actually was best design for a Nintendo 64 controller. Yeah. So I, I now that uh, those have been re-released for the Switch, it'd be interesting to try to play it that way. Yep. Yep. Um, interesting. And I, I would I would like us to, to, to go back and explore that. Um, and we'll allow that as your as your J for, for justice. <laughs> do you want... I, I mean, I've, I've screwed up the order now. Oh, uh, sure. Do I'll, I'll, do, I'll do K. Yeah. So my K is for Kongs. Um, the Donkey So many Kongs. So many Kongs. Donkey Kong 64, a real cornucopia of Kongs that have quietly been retired, I would say. We don't see much yeah. from a lot of these Kongs anymore. So uh, in Donkey Kong 64, the playable Kongs were Donkey Kong, of mm-hmm. course, with his like coconut gun. Coconut gun. Fires and spurts. <laughs> um, Diddy Kong. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, no Dixie, no Kitty. Um, we got ourselves a lanky, mm-hmm. a tiny, and a chunky. Yeah. Lanky's a good Kong. Lanky's a good Kong. It's a shame that they, like, retired him. I know. See, and I, you know, tiny and chunky, I don't have such fond, you know, like, I mean, they're, memories They're kind of just bad, bad uh, Dixie and bad Kitty, right? Right, which is, I think... I Why guess, didn't they just use those characters? I don't again? know. I I genuinely don't know. But yeah, Lanky. I think justice for Lanky. It's time for That's him right. to return. And hopefully, if this, um, like even you know, with when Tropical Freeze came out, they were like, yes, we, uh, Funky, you're back. Yeah, you're you know, back, Funky. You made it. You can be playable in the Switch version as as the fifth playable Kong in the game, which already has a uh, you know a Cranky. That, that that he's a new addition. But nobody nobody out there was like, well, maybe we should bring Chunky back. Maybe we should bring Lanky back. But we should bring Lanky back. And here's the thing. Here's Mark, here's the thing. All of the Kongs had his, uh, their own musical instruments that they played in, in that game. They should... And Lanky Kong, do you, do you know what instrument he played? No, what did Lanky play? He played the trombone. Oh, and what's a big hit game did. on the Steam shop right now is Trombone Champ. They should bring that over to Switch, but with Lanky Kong in the character role. Man, Lanky with those big old arms, long old arms, he could have yeah. really, he could have played like a super side trombone. He, he definitely could have. Super size trombone. <laughs> uh, Mark, for my K, I went with Killer Instinct Gold, um, which is sort of a weird not quite Killer Instinct 2, but, like, is sort of Killer Instinct 2. The graphics aren't as, like, the resolution isn't as good and, like, the fidelity of the models isn't as great um, as uh, Killer Instinct 2 in the arcade. But it has a more dynamic camera, so, like, it really plays into the, the sort of, like, 3D 
or like seeming 3D ab- ab- about the stages. Um, but Killer Instinct was just one of those games that like it was finding another like way into the sort of like Mortal Kombat thing of like here's how we make the uh, characters visually distinct as we're digitizing like photographs of humans. This was uh, pre-rendered stuff a la Donkey Kong uh, Country. Um, and then like that digitized as like giant sprites on the screen. Um, so yeah, Killer Instinct Gold. Another rare game. Another rare game. Rare shows up a lot uh, on any discussion of the Nintendo 64. Um, they put out so many games on that thing in not a long time. Uh, my L, I'll do, we'll do my L. Um, Lockatoo. I had to go with the Lockatoo because uh, leave it to Nintendo to be introducing a uh, 3D style of Mario gameplay, 3D platformer, uh, unprecedented like thing where you have control over the camera. Leave it to Nintendo to say like, that camera has to be a character. That camera has to be a character that you're controlling. Uh, and so here's the Lockatoo with a camera on a fishing line. And now Mark, that's all well and good. I want to discuss what sort of magic gimbal this uh, Lockatoo has that the camera the video camera on a fishing line is as steady as it is oh yeah how does he accomplish this it's amazing i also maybe because he's in a cloud Mm. you know like he's lighter than air and so has a lot of maneuverability that way i wonder if maybe there's like a little cloud under the camera oh yes (laughs) possibly but i also like to think that you know from this camera it's being transmitted back to like a van somewhere. Yeah, sure. That a bunch of toads right, are, are you like know like di- together. are like directing the game. So there's like a little toad, you know, that's be like Titan Three, <laughs> <laughs> which would explain why the camera in Nintendo sixty in Mario sixty four is a little wonky. Right, they never let you go to the uh, the the toad van to control the cut. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a very good one. My uh, my L is actually also Mario sixty four related in a what? way, and it's Luigi. The um, where's Luigi? Where's Luigi? You know the playground, big playground rumor coming out of Super Mario sixty four is that Luigi was a secret playable character that you could unlock by you know doing a an assortment of activities. Um, and while not true in the final release, uh, there is a kernel of truth in it. In that, just a few years ago, you know they found a uh, Luigi in the code of Mario sixty four. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because in the early development, they were toying around with the idea of making it a multiplayer game. It was something that Shigeru Miyamoto was really interested in and didn't eventually didn't make the final cut. But um, what a, a crazy experience that would have been. Yeah. Well, and all, I, th- there's also so there's the the plaque on the like statue in the fountain in the back, um, like where the ghosts are. Um, in in uh, in Mario sixty four outside of Peach's castle, um, and the plaque appears to read "L is real twenty four oh one," which is of course what made everyone believe Luigi is real. He's in here, and no one like there was a uh, you know online debate over what twenty four oh one. Yeah, just meant. a few more hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that statue will open up, and Luigi. Uh, we'll walk out of it. Yeah, I, I wonder if like people thought like, are there two hundred two thousand four hundred and one stars? Oh, sure, or something yeah, or like coins or yeah, yeah, something like that. Like, how do you trigger this? Twenty four oh one L is real. Um, yeah, he should have been in that game. That would have been fun. Well, I'm gonna close out uh 
this first part of our ABCs of Nintendo 64. I'm going to close out your part of this part. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. With another uh, Mario 64 thing, and that is my M is for Metal Mario. Dun, 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 dun. So, um, you know, kind of like standard that every Mario game, new platformer, like introduces some new power up. And one of the ones that was introduced in Mario 64 was Metal Mario, which I think was... Um, a, a really cool new addition to the game because it showed off a lot of what the Nintendo 64 could do. Oh, yeah. The, the, he's a reflective surface now. He's a reflective surface, like, walking around. Um, he, you know, like, the momentum changes when you are Metal Mario. Um, he is now shown up in... Maybe not like other platformers so much as shows up in, you know, like special as special costumes yeah. in various games. Probably because it's easy to do it, right? Uh-huh. We're just like, uh, make all the colors silver. <laughs> Done. Um, no, that, 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 that is a good one. Mark, I have two M's. Uh, but we've talked about Mario Party kind of a lot already uh, with injuries. Uh, but I just want to mention uh, Mario Party, it's the birth of a, a genre of game. They made three of them for the system. Uh, it's a perfect marriage of uh, software and hardware. We talked about the four controller ports already. Like, And it, this is also like the very beginning of Nintendo embracing the everyone can play sort of aesthetic. Um, like they perfected it with the Wii for sure. But like, I played Mario Party with a ton of my friends who didn't play video games because it's easy to pick up, easy to understand, um, and participate. And, you know, Mario Party awards people stars for no reason. And that, you know, can feel great for someone who's not able to keep up with, like, the video gaminess of it. But the M that I really want to go with is, of course, Martinet. Charles Martinet, the voice of Mario. The first thing that we, first time we hear Mario, he's saying, hello. Um, and it's Charles Martinet's voice. Um, and it's how Nintendo's uh, uh, Super Mario 64 opens. Uh, and because it's a launch game, that's how the Nintendo 64 opens. That dude and his voice is synonymous with the Nintendo 64, as far as I'm concerned. You know, uh, yeah, that's such a good, that is so true. And he has become such like an integral part of Nintendo. I feel like we should almost, neither of us picked it. And maybe it'll come up later, but I feel like this is a good opportunity. Let's just for a second. Yeah. Uh, we should just talk about Mario 64. Because oh, okay. Because I, I feel like it's set, it is such an important part of like not just the Nintendo 64, but like video games in general. Yes. Uh, you know, it's the first really like 3D platformer. Um, and just like, you know, we talked about Star Fox uh, hitting the gaming world in such a big way, like Mario 64 was seismic. Yeah, I mean it 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 changed Yeah, I mean it changed what you could expect of of video games, right? Like um it really is uh I I think it's sort of the the standard for like the paradigm changing game where you're like, "Oh, this is what the platform is capable of," right? And there are are so few of those just throughout uh time um that like yeah, you absolutely have to acknowledge uh, Super Mario 64 is a moment in video game history. Yeah, and it also just marks an interesting point in Nintendo's history where Mario forks and yeah. Mario no longer becomes this easy, just like anybody can pick up and play type game. Like Mario 64 requires a certain like dexterity and a certain commitment to 
uh, like mastering the systems that a way that, you know, uh, somebody could just easily pick up the original Super Mario Brothers and understand its concepts and like gameplay really quickly. And it was something that Nintendo had like a difficult time, um, like, uh, uh, yeah, like sort of correcting for correcting, the future. Yeah, yeah, for a long time until they until, until new. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Mark, we have made it halfway through the alphabet, uh, and we've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes, so we're going to call it here, uh, and then we will finish up uh, in next week's episode on this same topic. But Mark, in the meantime, let's close this out. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you like the episode, you should share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. We appreciate it when you do that. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. And the show is at Nin Cart Society. Um, we also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Um, Anthony DeLuca made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening.